Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I've got TJ Saint, who is the associate head coach of the Birmingham Squadron, which is the G League affiliate of the New Orleans Pelicans. So thanks for being here, TJ. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Good to see you. Like we were talking earlier, I haven't seen you since probably 2016 at a Mexican restaurant in Oklahoma City. <laughs> uh-huh. Pineapple, so, pineapple salsa. It was good. Go. Yeah. Still a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give give us some background on yourself and where you grew up and what, what that was like growing up for you. Yeah. Um, I grew up mainly in a, well, I wouldn't say a suburb, a very small town uh, south of Indianapolis. Graduated with like 160 people in my class kind of a farm town area, um, lived there from age of eight all the way through high school. So that's what I, that's the bulk of where I grew up. And it was, it was Indiana and basketball is just kind of a somewhat of a religion there. Yeah. I mean, everybody plays it, even if you don't play for your high school team. I mean, every, it's a part of the, the canvas that is Indiana. Um, I grew up Two parents, both were retired military. Eventually at the time when I was young, they retired from the military. My dad flew planes in the military, the P-3 Orion, um, which was a, a submarine hunter during the Cold War, which very interesting stories talking to him. Oh yeah. Um, my mom was a colonel in the Marines um, and worked in intelligence. So I had a very um, disciplined, I would say, background coming from them. And then my dad went on to fly commercial aircraft and my mom works for a health company. Um, but had a really good childhood, had a younger brother, uh, three years younger. He's doing really well. And um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't change it. It's all I know, kind of. Yeah. So did you grow up playing a lot of sports then with your brother or what was that like? You know what? It's like, I wish I would have done more a little bit, but it was all basketball. Uh-huh. I mean, I remember the the... We moved there, you know, I went to like third, fourth grade and then started playing like a little AAU and one of the AAU coaches, you know, he was the track coach. He's like, man, you're fast. Let's, why don't you come out for the track team? I was like, no, I'm good. And then we get to high school and the, the football coach wants me to come out for safety or cornerback. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I think I don't really want to get hurt and hurt my chances of playing college basketball. So I'm good. And so I literally played one sport my entire life. It's a religion. (laughs) Yeah. Which, which. I wish I could go back and maybe try some other things, but like, it's still, to me, it's still the best sport. And it's eventually it's what I wanted to do. I wanted to coach. So like just staying in that and all the connections that you meet is, you know, when you play is like, it was invaluable to my career and building it. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously you love basketball from a young age, did it for a long time. You know, you talk about your parents being in the military, having those backgrounds, what did you learn from them or what are some things that you've carried over from just growing up with them and and what they've taught you? Oh man. Like, I mean, imagine being a six-year-old and finishing like, let's say it's cereal at breakfast and, you know, you don't put your bowl in the dishwasher, you just leave it in the sink. 
And my dad, he wouldn't get on me, but he would be like, Hey, attention to detail. Like you gotta, you gotta take care of your own stuff, you know? And it was like that from as far back as I remember, like, you know, making my bed, being on time, being early, honestly, I mean, every little thing, it was just the attention to detail phrase was kind of ingrained in me from a young age. Um, so I think that helped me build a routine, be regimented, be, I look back now and I, I don't say this like in a bad way, but like, I look back and I, I was a really professional kid. <laughs> I was, I had a lot of professionalism, like it, it kind of boggles my mind now, but it comes straight from him. I mean, he was, and he still is like just a great resource to lean on and just taught me how to really organize my life work really hard handle setbacks and has always been positive same thing with my mom yeah what an incredible experience to have you know that within your upbringing that obviously carries over to what you do on a daily basis within athletics and whatever your endeavor was that you wanted to pursue so that's a, a great example of having great parents that taught you a lot of really good lessons um, as you look back at basketball or just even let's go back just in, in, before you got to college, were there any particular experiences that really shaped you that you remember um, from your early ages? Yeah. Um, so we moved to that town, small town, um, when I was eight, turning nine, and I was on the third grade, like youth league team. You know, you sign up, you pay money. There's a million kids. And then from that youth league season, which lasts like two and a half months, maybe uh, they picked like quote unquote all stars, but it was more to play AAU. And like, I didn't get picked and I was pissed. Like, cause that's what I wanted to do. And like, they're like, yeah, you know, you need to work on your ball handling. You know, you need to do this. And I was like, well, I really want to do this. And what better way to work on that is if I can't just, can I just be on this team? And they're like, no. And so I think that kind of like, <clears throat> in a weird way, looking back, started like a fire. Um, and so I just started working out on my own and like, you know, in my driveway at that age, I'm like nine, 10, like I'm just in my driveway, you know, in the winter time when it's cold, I would put a ladder. I mean, this is, this is extending from like nine, 10, 11, 12, but I would put a ladder up in the driveway to mimic defense and shooting over defense, you know, like I remember going into high school, you know, my shot when I was little, I used to like use my, my, my hand to flick the wrist, but I'd use my guide hand and I'd flick my thumb when I was little, I wasn't strong enough to get it up there. And that had just become my shot naturally. And it was okay. And I remember like, you know, going through middle school. So like in sixth grade, I was like the sixth man, never started a game really wanted to start worked really hard got to seventh grade started like two games okay got to eighth grade started like maybe a third of the season and I was like yo this is like enough is enough and in between my eighth and ninth grade year my goal was to just be the starter on the freshman team and I knew my shot had to change so that whole summer I literally put an oven mitt when I was working out on my own on my guide hand to eliminate the flicking and so I just got this down and changed my whole shot. And I was like, I'm going to start on the freshman team. So I did. I started on the freshman team. I played one game. This is the craziest stat line ever. We played one game. We won by 40. I had like 15 assists, no turnovers. And I didn't even take a shot, not one shot. 
And they were like, yeah, okay, you're going to JV. And then I started on <laughs> JV the whole season. So I was like, whoa, like that huge jump was a, a result of just being kind of like over time, quite, kind of mad at myself, mad at other people, but I was more mad at myself. Like, why am I not making this jump? So I, I broke down my whole game, changed my shot, worked on ball handling, and then started on JV. And I was like, whoa. And then, you know, the rest is kind of history as you build, but different coaches, you know, eventually got to college. It was, that was kind of my childhood as, as far as a basketball standpoint. Yeah. And it's interesting as you talk about that, because it goes back to kind of that attention to detail, you know, when you didn't necessarily get the outcome that you wanted, uh, you wound up, I don't know, you know, what compelled you to put those ladders? Had you seen that from guys in the NBA or, or, or what, just naturally you just like, Hey, this is going to be my defense right now. I'm going to shoot over the yeah. ladders. I'm going to work around the ladders. So that that's was pretty something yeah. that was tall as me. And it was like, okay, maybe this is mimicking a game. That's awesome. Love that. Yeah. So you didn't even see it. You were just doing it because you wanted to get better. And so a question I have for you, um, a lot of times, you know, we talk about this a lot on the show, but when you have a goal or a dream or something that you want to achieve, you know, whenever you sit, sit down and you face some obstacles, what were the things that compelled you to keep going rather than kind of be dismayed by it? And maybe like, you know what, maybe basketball isn't for me. And then maybe that next year when you didn't see maybe the outcome that you necessarily wanted, you just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it, kept working, kept working. And then obviously then you be able, were able to, uh, to, to make the freshman team start play well and then go up to JV. And like you said, the rest is history, but. Yeah, I think it comes probably from two things. Um, I had a really good support system back to my family. I mean, I had a really good childhood and I set a goal. Like when I was seven, eight years old, you know, the ultimate goal was like, you know, I wanted to play in the NBA. Um, as I went along, I realized that like physically that was going to be almost impossible at my side. I'm like five, 10, 160 pounds. <laughs> um, uh, but I really wanted to coach in the NBA. Like growing up in Indiana, you either like Indiana University or you like Purdue. Like there's no in between, right? And I like the Pacers. Like I didn't really watch college basketball. I, I to me it was so interesting. And you look back now, and it's like I asked college coaches, well, you know, why wouldn't you coach in high school, or why do you coach in college versus high school? Well, the money's better, the players are better, the travel's better, the competition's better. You know, because I get asked that a lot. Like, why wouldn't you want to coach in college? And I go, well, the money's better. The travel's better. The competition's better. <laughs> the players are better. Like, it's the same thing. And so I just thought as a kid watching NBA basketball was better. I just liked it more uh, for all those, not in the money thing, but like for all those reasons, the game, the players were better. You, you know, they were doing different things. It was more creative, I thought. Um, so I set a goal. Like that's what I wanted to do. And I just, I, I had the will to do it. And I, I think the difference here in the mindset is a lot of people um, have faith. They hope they believe something can happen, you know, and that's fine. But like you're hit or miss on that. Like that's going to happen X amount of the time, or it's not going to happen X amount of time. I think you can get to a level where you know, something's going to happen. And I see this with really good players too, in their own right, is it creates a supreme confidence. Like if you know something's going to come or going to happen, you're literally just going to make the decisions along the way as you get to those decisions to make them happen. Because you know out there, you know, I, I, I'm at 
C or D right now. I can see Z, you know, I can see it there. I, I always can see it there. And then like, and part of the knowing is not like one day seeing yourself being a head coach in the NBA coaching on the road at the Boston Garden. It's feeling it like state, like I literally at times, if I'm trying to really focus and like ground myself and, and recalibrate, I'll literally like try to imagine myself standing up in a game with a suit um, and you can feel the players run by, you can feel the air. Like I get that detailed on the feeling, not just thinking and imaging on the feeling. And I think, I think that's been super valuable because there are times like, this is not, you know, this is not an easy road. I have not had, you know, this linear progression. You know what I mean? I've been in the NBA and then I went back to college, not by choice, uh, now in the G league. So it's, it's, it's fascinating how it all works. But I think knowing versus hoping and having a really good, really good support system around you is crucial. Yeah, those are two great points. And and I think it's funny because you mentioned that. I was just writing down some thoughts before we even came on the air about just when you want something like this, that the, the knowing, the feeling, like when you put yourself in that position that you want to be at, what does that look like? What does it feel like? You know, what's going on? What are, What's emotionally, what are you feeling? because a lot of people get into stuff and then they wind up reaching what they wanted to achieve. And it's not really what they wanted because maybe they didn't think it through. They didn't feel it. They didn't know it like you're talking about. So it's kind of funny you said that, <laughs> but exactly. um, it's so true. I mean, it's, it's, it's ironic, but it really is true to really like get in the moment, understand what's, what's necessary to get to that level and really like be very detailed about it, having that attention to detail. So going back into your story a little bit, you know, you went from high school basketball, you went to college. That was a goal you set. How did you wind up at Mercer? Yeah, very uh, luck. Um, I played high school basketball, played AAU. I was okay, you know, average like 10 points a game. I was more seen in AAU. I played on a decent team. I wasn't the best player, um, but I really like targeted division one. And I knew I wasn't going to be a great player in division one, but I knew that getting to that level would create the contacts I would need that I, to get to the NBA eventually, or at least it gave me the best chance I would say. And so I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and I basically got an offer and a half to do something. It was like, you know, you could come to the Naval Academy prep school, maybe. And I don't even know if that was totally solid at the time, or you could go to Mercer and an assistant coach happened to see me in an AU game, we kept in touch the whole year. He said, look, you know, uh, we've got a good situation down here. You're not a scholarship player, but like you could be a preferred walk-on player. And so with that, I actually went down there with no guarantees. Okay. No guarantee that I was actually going to make the team. So they, they had me play on their version of a JV team that played like NAI schools, division three, junior colleges, and so I did that for like a 15 game season, maybe. And their top assistant coached it for Mercer. And we got done with that season and they liked me enough to start practicing with the main team. And so I did that. Right. Um, and then after the, the end of that season and practicing, the coach was like, yeah, I want you to actually be on the team officially. And so I did that for a year. So I was at Mercer for two years. It was a great experience. I, I really felt like, you know, 
having the empathy of knowing what it's like to be a player at the division one level has helped a lot because, you know, you're getting your ankles taped every day. You're getting, you know, the, the work done on your knees, like it's a grind. And, in he, my, my coach at the time, Mark Sloniker, he's now an associate AD at the university of Georgia. He told me his goal for me every week was like, you have to win Monday. You have to be the best player in the gym on Monday. Cause these guys just played Thursday, Saturday. We gave them Sunday off. They're going to be tired and groggy. Like you have to beat our starters on Monday. And I, I really took that to heart and I tried and I just, it was a great experience. Um, at the end of it, at the end of that second year, he got, I experienced what coaching life is all about. And he got let go. He got fired. Um, and they brought a new coach in and, um, talking about setbacks and things you don't think are going to happen. We go through the summer. I work camp, you know, I'm on the team. They want to bring me back. Everything's fine. So I, I move off campus, get a place, get a 12 year or 12 month lease. I get down to Macon, Georgia. I check in with our strength coach, get a workout in, and I go upstairs and I say, what's up to the coaches? And they were like, oh, well, you know, you're going to, we're going to have make you try out now. We decided, you know, we're just going to, and I was like, wait a minute. So I'm not a scholarship player. I've already, you know, taken out a loan or whatever to get like the tuition paid. I've already signed on a lease. Like, what do you mean? Like, you already told me this. And then they kind of went back on it like, oh, yeah, oh, we're sorry. But, you know, and I don't really even still know what exactly happened. Um, and then they they said, you know, maybe you could uh, you could be like a student manager or something, because they had some other walk ons coming in who were more talented than me. And that, I knew that at the time, but it was still like kind of it rubbed me the wrong way um, that you could just do that when you told me something opposite. So I lost trust in them immediately. And I wrote a letter um then to rick bird at belmont university because i knew i needed i knew at that point i actually had to leave um and the year before when i was still on the team uh belmont came in we we practiced then they came in after some practice on our home court right because we were playing them the next day and i kind of showered real quickly and then walked back in the gym and went to the top and just watched them practice for like a half an hour, not to steal anything, but I just, to learn, I yeah. loved, they ran through our league everywhere. They want, they, they won it every single year. And then the way they like walked into the gym, it was like, they all had the same sweatsuits on it. They just looked professional. They meant business. And then they came out and they kicked our ass every year. <laughs> so it was <laughs> like, so I was like, what, what can I learn from these guys? And I just watched their practice and I was like, I would love to like learn from them and be a part of something like this. I wrote them a letter, cold letter, emailed it. Within a week, I got a response. I, I basically said, look, this is what I, this is where I'm from. This is what I'm trying to do in my life. I respect you guys like crazy things here. It's just not the right fit anymore. And he ended up, I figured out like later on, he actually read that letter to the team because everything that I saw about them that, that he wants his program to be at Belmont. I, I kind of stated those things from afar. And so he agreed to meet me on a Sunday. So I drove from Georgia to Nashville and met Rick Bird in his office on a Sunday. Really? And look back, it was an interview. And he said, you know, obviously I, trans I transferred mid-semester and he said, you know, I, so I got to Belmont, I helped out with some things, was basically a practice player. 
And he said, look, like I can, you can walk onto our team and finish out your two years. You're not going to play probably, which I knew they were even better than Mercer or we don't have a big staff. We have three assistants and that's it. You can, we can make you a student assistant coach and really get you started on this path. And he used this word. He said, we can market you better for when you graduate. And to his credit, you know, I did that. I, I hung up the Jersey for that. And it's funny, like he is one of the best coaches out there, period. One of the best people, period, I know that I've ever come across. And in that interview, he said, you know, some of the, it, he was humble enough to say this, you know, when you leave here, whenever that is, whenever you move on to your next thing, you're going to learn more from me, not what not to do. And I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm like, he's won like 700 games. Yeah, <laughs> He is, I mean, he's probably the best out of timeouts X's and O guy I've seen, maybe still to this day, honestly, with his situational basketball. And that's what he said. And like, I do that for two years. I'm a student assistant coach. We win a lot of games. I figure out what it takes to maintain a really good program, how to recruit that way, you know, what it's like in practice every day. And, and when you don't sacrifice, you know, the logo for, for a player or an incident that happens, it was unbelievable experience. I mean, it was two years, two and a half years of like the foundation of real basketball to me. And so I owe that guy a lot. Obviously I'm still, I still live in Nashville for a reason. I had lunch with him probably a month ago. Um, but yeah, that was kind of how I got from high school to college. Yeah. Talk about the transition from, obviously it was a great opportunity to go work under Rick Bird. He's one of the best coaches out there in general, not even just NBA college in general, but talk about kind of just deciding to be done with actually uh, playing basketball and stepping in that student system. Was that a tough transition or was it more so just like, you know what, this is the path. So I'm going to take a step out and, and do this now. It was, it was more tough at Mercer when they said that, because I felt like they said that because they just wanted to keep a roster at a certain number. Um, and they were just kind of, they just kind of like thought about it for a second. Oh, you know, this will work. Like coach bird, really, he sat me down and he had, we had like an hour conversation about it and it was really intentional. And by that, after that, when I heard it and when I really thought about it, I was like, this is the right thing. Like, you know, maybe I could be a little bit better as a player, but I'm pretty much maxed out from what I, from what I'm capable of. I, I really worked hard. It's funny now that I know so much more about basketball. If I'd have known that I would have been better as a kid, <laughs> but, but that just comes with it. Uh, a lot of people actually say that. Yeah, it was, it was somewhat hard, but then once I got into it and the job was better than he even described, I was involved in everything. I just took it and ran with it. And I, I can't say enough, like some of the people we had here, players coaches at the time have gone on to do like amazing things like ian clark played in the nba karan johnson has been a great overseas player drew hanlon started his own business in pure sweat and is now one of the top trainers in the world adam barnes who is a walk-on at belmont is now the chief of staff for the pelicans the organization i work for like we had a ton of high level people there and they're like all my best friends and i just think it was meant to be and it just worked out well yeah, absolutely. What a great experience. And it's funny how, you know, what seems like a setback at the time turns into a, a great opportunity if you keep moving forward. And I'll say this real quick is we got to the ASUN tournament and we have to win three games to go to the NCAA tournament. I've never been to the NCAA tournament because Belmont won every year, right? 
So we get to the ASUN tournament in 2011. We win our first game. Our second game is against Mercer at Mercer. Okay. They hosted it. And so we won in a pretty hard fall game, maybe like eight or nine, but it was really hard. And I just remember, you know, in the shake hands line after the game, like, man, I made a good decision. <laughs> and then we, and then we blew out North Florida in the championship game and went to the NCAA tournament. It was awesome. Yeah. What was that like? Cause you had not been to the NCAA tournament yet. Right. It was big time. We played at in Tucson against Wisconsin. We were 30 and four at the time. I believe we were really good. Like, um, and they kind of handled us, which was interesting. Like, you know, we couldn't rebound with them. We, they were, they executed, they were really good. It was a really bad matchup for us. It was kind of like a, a big brother. Like they did everything we did. They just had better players. Um, but it was big time. Like the feeling of it. I mean, it's, it was awesome. It was a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. And you got a lot more of those experiences as you move further in your career, but you wound up going from Belmont and you go to Butler. How did you wind up a Butler and, and talk about how that transition occurred? Yeah. Um, so I was going to work different point guard college camps in the summer when I was at Belmont. It was a company I went to went to as a player. Um, and then they they offered me to work in the summer. So I told Coach Bird about it. He goes, well, you know, you want to coach. You need to make contacts. He goes, I don't know how many contacts you're going to make. He, he kind of gave me the advice of I need to work different college camps. And he was going to let me just work whatever camp I wanted. So like for my, my two summers after schooling at Belmont, I basically toured around and worked at like eight camps a summer. You know, and they were different. I went from like Oregon to Clemson to Santa Clara to shoot. I don't even remember Vanderbilt. Like I just went to a bunch of them through the summers and one of them was Butler that I worked. And so I, you know, I would tell this to people like when you're networking or you're trying to get a job, you know, I reverse engineer it now, but you got to really put a face with a name and Butler was coming off their first final four appearance. And so I worked the, the summer after that and the coaches, they were really interactive more than any camp I'd actually been to. Like they actually talked to you and, you know, we're, we're actually working the camp. A lot of coaches don't really work the camp actually at colleges. Um, and so I built a good rapport. I did that for two weeks and just kind of stayed in touch with them. You know, some of the assistants and they go, we go through the next year and they go to the final four again. And I'm like, man, like, what are, like, what are they doing? What is in the water there that they can do that? And so I was like, I talked to coach bird about like what the next steps were. And, you know, we thought a GA was, was the best route. And I'd been doing coaching stuff for two years, you know, around the office and I could help with that and be marketed, like he said. And so he, he created a spot here. Um, Casey Alexander, who was our associate head coach, got the head coaching job at Stetson. He created a spot, a GA spot for me there. They, they pay, you know, the Belmont one paid for schooling, pretty good stipend. The Stetson one, I think, paid for schooling, small stipend. And I was just intrigued with Butler. You know, it was another like, man, that just feels right. And so Coach Bird was like, look, like, I think that's where you need to go. Like, you know, I, I think it'd be better to, to have something else on your resume besides just Belmont and Belmont. He thought it'd be better for everything. And like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, he was willing to like, let me, you know, he didn't want to just keep me around because I was doing the same thing for him and I, mm -hmm. I could help him. He was like really invested in growing my and other people's career. And so like, we reached out, like he reached out to Brad Stevens, 
we set up an interview. I'd already enrolled in grad school. So by the time the interview hit, I was like, I'm actually in, like, I've already gotten into this program. Like, you don't even have to worry about that. And I gave them like a sheet of things that I'd done and things that I thought I could help with their program with from the video side, from administration, being a practice court player. Um, and <laughs> I, don't, I got lucky. Like I got lucky. Like he, he just <laughs> said, yes, he's, you know, he liked, he liked the Belmont program. He was close friends with Rick Bird. He'd, I'd already known him from a year ago. And coming off back-to-back Final Fours, I got the only GA spot at the time. They didn't even had one before at Butler. And it was like, whoa. And I, <laughs> I didn't get a stipend, and they didn't pay for school. I just did it. I lived in the basement of, at my aunt's house who lived on the west side of Indy. And I coached, like, four youth teams to make money on the side. Did so, you? like, I'd, 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 work, I'd get in the office at, like, eight, work till, like, five or six go practice and coach these teams and games or practices, I'd be done. I'd get home at like 10. Like my aunt would just have like a plate in the fridge or the plate in the microwave. And I'd be, it was like an, it was like a hotel. Man. <laughs> and so like, that was, that was it for a year. The next year they, they increased the GA budget. They gave me full tuition and a big, pretty good stipend at the time. So I was able to get my own place. Uh, did that. We were really good. Um, and then Coach Stevens promoted me to the ops position, director of operations. And it was like, whoa, it all happened super fast, super thankful. Um, it was a really great experience with him. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much in what you just talked about. First and foremost, just going out in the summers and working different camps, places that you you know, respected the coaching staff, the cultures, organizations, getting a chance to learn from them, You know, reaching out on your own behalf, taking the initiative to go and do that. And then having Coach, uh, Coach Bird be an advocate for you and wanting the best for you, not just like wanting to keep you in house the whole time and, and obviously use you there, but he wanted you to go out and have a different experience that would better market yourself. And then obviously another thing too, is when you go to some of these places, especially starting off, you know, you could make little or no money starting off, but you had a desire to be in it. And so you just did it. You figured it out, made a way coaching teams on the side. I'll do it. I mean, I'm sure if you had to work at Mickey D's or something, you would have done it too. So just having that opportunity to get in at, at one of the, at the time, you know, it still is one of the best jobs at Butler, but it, it was the, like one of the best possible positions to be at, you know, they had just gone to back-to-back final fours, forget about Indiana, forget about Purdue, Butler's the place to be. So especially being an Indiana guy. So um, just talk about some of the things that you learned Let's go back actually to Rick Bird. What, what were some things you learned under him that you got to watch and, and take in and then talk about being on staff with Coach Stevens and it could be the assistants too? Yeah, um, with Coach Bird, it was, you know, you don't, you don't compromise your program for anything or anybody. Um, that last year when we were really good I and mean, we played like 11 guys, like minutes we were that good that talented and we were going into a road trip at Kennesaw State and Mercer to basically if we won it we were gonna we were gonna win the league um it was you know Kennesaw wasn't that good but Mercer was actually really good and one of the players he I think he parked in a handicap spot in a garage for like five or ten minutes to run in somewhere because he was in a rush to get something done. And then he came back out 
and coach bird found out about it i don't even think he got in trouble i don't know how he found out about it i don't even think the player got in trouble it was so fast and before practice he used he used to line everybody up on the baseline and he'd stand around the free throw line and kind of talk about the practice or some theme for the day and he talked about that that incident and he he gets coach bird people might not know like he gets kind of teary-eyed emotional when he's talking about Belmont or his players because he he just feels it you know what I mean he I mean I can't tell you how many times he would get an emotional in the locker room before or after a game Um, because he he loves his players he loves Belmont he built it and he decided this is one of our best players he's like this guy's suspended for the road trip he's not coming on the road trip like you don't do that that's not what we're about and I was like at the time I'm like whoa like we need him. Like, this is huge. Like how we can't really replace what he does. And so I learned very early on, like that matters, but it doesn't matter to compromising what you're all about. And we went down and actually smacked both teams. Like somebody else just stepped up, you know, it's like the new England Patriots, like Belichick, they've done it their entire, you know, the whole organization, their entire careers. And it's like, I learned that. Uh, I already talked about how humble he was. And like, here's something that I would tell like young coaches, because I see it a lot now, is I learned the game. Like, like we got into this, all of us, because we played at a young age and we just love basketball. And there's so many things nowadays that are not about basketball that that are within the realm of of this industry. And I think it's, I, I don't want to fall in deaf ears, but like, just learn the game where you're at, like study the game. I, I learned the game from Rick Bird. I learned how to set up an offensive system. I learned how to make play calls that were recognizable and easy and could change on the fly. Like the first game I was with Belma, we played at Tennessee against a really good team. They had Tobias Harris, Scotty Hobson. I ended up working with Tobias Harris down the road with Pistons, ironically, but they were really good, way better than us. So we open up at Tennessee, the place is rocking. It's neck and neck the whole game. And like, this is something I learned from McBird. He stand, I'm sitting at the end of the bench. He stands up and he goes 42 into 42, 11 Vandy. And those are play calls. And I go, we've never ran that. But because each segment is just a concept, he was able to kind of string them together like a football coach would with the plays. And the guys knew exactly what it was. And we got like an and one backdoor. And we'd never practice that exact play ever. I was blown away. I was like, wow, this is amazing. We ended up losing the game at the last second, but like learning stuff like that, how to build your program, doing it the right way, how your, your, you know, your ideals are bigger than the the sum of the parts. And it's, I still, I still like lean on him and send him texts or call him when I need something or just advice. I mean, he's, he's unbelievable, man. The, the X's and O's, he's great at everything, great person. Uh, that's kind of what the Belmont experience is all about. Yeah, and not compromising on your principles. Is, that's a great story, too. What about Coach Stevens? What did you learn from him in your time at Butler? You would have thought, like, I basically re- had to relearn what defense really was. Because, I, you know, you always think you know, but, like, <laughs> when I got up there, it's kind of opposite. He knew how to set up a defensive system where I, I hadn't really – you know, play hard, guard the ball. Like, I mean, he had terminology, he had concepts, he had the way we set up the system. 
like I remember going through the preseason in September and we did like 90% defense in these workouts. I'm like, when are we going to do any offense? And, but the way he kind of, and I, I don't want to, he kind of, in a way, the way he does it brainwashes players to thinking they're better defenders than they are, but then they believe they're better defenders there. And then they become better defenders. <laughs> it, it's, it's the craziest thing ever. Like he calls it defensive DNA. Um, but the way he builds the system up in his organization of practice plans, you know, our meetings, he, we had a preseason coaches meeting at like a country club in Indianapolis, uh, just the coaching staff one day, or it was like a two day thing. And he had this rubric planned out for like the next four weeks of like concepts we're going to install on this day. Not every drill, but like, here's the days we're going to install this, 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 and this. Here are like 50 questions that through this meeting, we're going to need to answer as coaches. Like who's taking the ball out full court when we're up, when we're down three, who's taking the ball outside out here. What's our best switching lineup if we need it. I mean, it was like, I still have the thing in my binders. Um, and I use it like with the G League. I used it. I've used it both years and I've added to it and critique some of it because some of it's college, but like just how to set up defense, how to set up a winning mindset. You know, he always talked about toughest team sets the rules. Um, that's so true. Like the first three minutes, he was big on that. The first three minutes of the game, really delivering the toughness type of mentality. Uh, it was a different type of program same morals and principles and values, but it was just a level up as far as the play. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. And then he was what I definitely the most probably learned from him that I, that I use or I have used when I've been in charge of people is he's super empowering um, third game there. So I'm a GA. I'm like 23 third game. We play Louisville with Rick Pitino. So in the days leading up to it, he's like, Hey, I want you to watch all their presses the last two years on film. Give me, you know, the top five they use, come up with ways how you think we can beat them. And then during the game, I need you to be telling me what they're in and, and what you think we should do. And so I do all that. And at halftime of that game, I don't remember the score. It was pretty close. We sit down, we're talking and he's like, TJ, tell, go up on the board and show us, the best way to be press in front of all the coaches. And I was just like, Whoa, <laughs> so he just threw you into the fire like that in a big game on, on not only it was national TV, but against Louisville. And I'm like, man, and he continued to do that empowering, put you in positions to where you can, you can really grow and you have to talk in front of people. You have to interact with players. You have to teach them. Like it was, it was unbelievable. The, like the Belmont Butler, you know, five years in totality, would just set the foundation for everything basketball wise. And it was the lens I had kind of projected through and looked through from now on. Yeah. You got your doctorate in basketball while you're at those places. Yeah. <laughs> PhD, man. PhD. Yeah. So you have these amazing experiences and then you transition to the highest level. You get to the Pistons. How did you wind up there? And what was that like being um, in professional basketball, a, a place that you'd always wanted to be at? Yeah, it was uh it was big time. Um, coach Stevens left after my second year. So he promoted me to ops. We had a new head coach, hired a new assistant. And, you know, he, I remember the day, like he left for the Celtics and he came out, he came around to all of our offices. We were working camps. So we were kind of in and out of the office and he sat down with me and he goes, uh, it's not public yet, 
but I just became the head coach of the Boston Celtics. And I was holding an NBA ball at the time <laughs> in my chair. And he goes, you know, you're, you're somebody that I definitely want to take. I don't know how many spots are going to be, but I'm not going to let anybody go. Um, when I get there, if they choose to leave, that's fine. So nobody, you know, basically at the video level, which is the only thing I could have gotten at the time, nobody left. But I remember, I remember like passing the ball up to him, be like, you better get used to one of these. And he caught it and kind of laughed. And that was kind of it. Um, so then the next year, another Belmont connection, Casey Alexander, who I told you was, he had left to be the head coach at Stetson. He had, which is around, it's, it's close to Orlando, Florida. He had become really good friends with Stan Van Gundy, like just because Stan had been let go by the magic and he'd been living in Orlando for two years with not much to do. And he used to come to their practices and then they get lunch and like, he just became really good friends with them. And I knew that. And so when Stan Van Gundy, I saw it on Twitter, he negotiated to be the president and head coach of the Pistons. I was like, Whoa, first of all, that's a big time job. And he's just another guy, like another really great coach that I would, I wanted to learn from. So I talked to Casey and he just called him. He's like, yeah, I'll see what he's got. And he just called him for me. And I, and that day he got back to me, like Casey did. He was like, you know, for those positions, he's not going to know anything for four or five weeks. So just hang tight. So I just waited it out, waited it out. And then at, at a certain point I was like, ah, I don't think anything's going to happen. Like, you know, I don't think anything's actually going to come of this. And I was actually packing my car to go to a lake house with some friends for the weekend. And I get a random number call and it happened to be a pro scout from the Pistons who had been Stan's video guy with the magic. And he goes, Hey, uh, I got your resume in front of me. Tell me about yourself. It was like <laughs> that blunt. And so I, I already researched all the people that he'd hired, you know, their background. So I knew exactly he was coming from Charlotte prior to then he was with Orlando prior to then he was at university of Florida. So like we talked about a lot of things he goes, okay, thanks. And then he just hung up and me and this guy are pretty good friends today. His name's Adam Glessner. He's a, he's assistant GM at the Spurs. And then like, I was like, that was crazy. And so I had all this like energy. And so I went on a run before I was going to go to the lake. I was just like, I'm going to go run. I can't do this right now. It was on a Friday. And then on the run, I get another call from a number that I didn't have, an Orlando number. And I go, hello? And I'm kind of breathing hard. He goes, hey, is this TJ? And I go, yeah. He goes, hey, this is Stan Van Gundy. How are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm great. I'm running. You know, I'm a little out of breath. And he laughs and some stuff. And it was the most bizarre thing. He's like, yeah. You know, I've heard a lot about you. We'd like to bring you up for an interview. What, what day next week works best? And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, and so that happens. I get an interview. <clears throat> Going up to the interview, I'll never forget this. So I land in Detroit. The practice facility at the time was like 45 minutes away from the airport. I get in the car. They have like a car service to take you to the practice facility. And so me and the driver are talking. You know, I've got like a suit on. He goes, what position, uh, what position are you going for? I go, video coordinator. He goes, oh, I've had like three or four of those guys this week because I, I went on a Friday. And I go, yeah, where are they from? He goes, the Miami Heat, the Golden State Warriors, the Utah Jazz. And, he, and I was like, okay. He goes, where are you from? I go, Butler University. <laughs> so like, I was like, I had no NBA experience. You know, I was like, so right then I kind of decided and we were exiting to where the Palace of Auburn Hills was at the time. And I was like, this is a, this is my only shot. 
Like I got to sell out right here. I got to do everything I can to try to get this job. Like I got to be myself, you know, I hope, hopefully they like it, but like, this is a huge opportunity that's about to unfold in, in the next five minutes. And so I get out, <clears throat> do the interview. Everything goes good from what I thought. Didn't hear anything from five days, four or five days. Um, and then I was out eating a burger at Red Robin in Carmel, <laughs> Indiana. And I'll never forget it. And then I'd already put Stan Van Gundy's name in. And then his, his number came up on my phone. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I kind of ran outside, took the call. He goes, yeah, we'd like to offer you the job. And he was, and then I was like, what? He was like, yeah, we'd like to, we, we liked you. We thought, you know, we, I got good feedback from everybody. He, he, he thinks like it'd be a good fit. And he was like, just let me know tomorrow. You know, think about it. Let me know tomorrow. Cause I was actually going to take a pay cut. It's going to take about a $35,000 pay cut coming from Butler to do that position at the time. And I was like, okay. And I hung up and I was like, I thought about it. I, I was going to call him back. I called him back like six minutes later. <laughs> He didn't answer. And so like, then I called back the next day and accepted the job. And like, that was kind of the history. But like, I guess part of that is, is saying like, going back to like, I don't know, I'm long winded on this. Having hope, faith, believing is a good thing, but knowing what you want to do and knowing it's going to happen. Like I was easily willing to sacrifice money. And honestly, having, having a seat on the front of the bench at Butler in the big East, which is awesome to the first couple of years, sitting in a room and not being on the bench, not even being behind the bench and staring at a screen and clipping film for the coaches live during the game. But I thought it was amazing though. I thought it was a great opportunity to learn the game, learn the game. That's what, wherever you're at, just learn the game. Don't worry about the next spot as much, as much as you can learn the game. Uh, but sacrificing money, sacrificing, you know, being out there in, in the thick of it, you got to do that sometimes, man. And, and it, I was willing to do it. I don't know how many people are like really like that. And I think doing that initially, that was my choice. I think really helped down the line when the Pistons era ended. And I took a setback because I'd already experienced a setback that I did on my own. But then the next setback was, you know, we were let go after four years and navigating that was, a, was much, I was much more prepared, I would say for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and talk about that. I mean, you go four years in the NBA, you're in a position where you get to be around the highest level of coaching athletes, the game itself, you're learning the game from the video perspective, and also, you know, from learning from all these different guys. And then obviously, you experience what, you know, many, many people experience in basketball, if not everybody is just getting let go yep. uh, on that staff. You know, how did you wind up where you did? And, and how to just kind of walk through that as that happens when your staff, you get fired and you're having to transition in that perspective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was the, it was the third time that something had, well, fourth time for me that something had, had been a major change in the first years of high school. My coach got fired. Uh, my first years of college, my coach got fired, you know, and then Brad Stevens after two years left, he didn't get fired, but he left. So that was a lot of change. And then after four years where I'd really been somewhere long enough to like, feel like, man, this is just keep going. Like, this is something like, I love being here. Like we have a good thing going, you know, things happen. And Stan, who was the president and head coach at the time uh, was let go from both positions. So they totally revamped the organization. There were only a few people who actually were retained by the new um, president and 
it was different. It was, it was really different in the sense of like the day Stan told us I was in the building. So the people who were actually there, he, he told um, it to, and I knew something was up, you know, I knew he was meeting with ownership and there was a chance for it to happen. I didn't think it was actually going to happen um, because of a lot of reasons, but he walked, we, he said, he sent out an email on a Sunday night to like the whole building. And it was like, it was like, need to, uh, if you're in town meeting at 1 PM in the video room. And I was like, oh man. And then he walks in with one of the, uh, owners guys and he's wearing like a Michigan high school athletic association shirt. And I was like, I, what, like he only wears like piston stuff or he's in a suit. And I just knew then what was going on, like exactly. And he told us, um, and he didn't get emotional, but you could hear like a little bit of it. You know, he, it was really hard. It was really hard to hear that because he, he puts a lot of time into things that he does. And so he left the, the room, the door shut. And then the owner, not the owner, but one of the owner's guys, he had tears in his eyes. I mean, this is, he was wiping off his glasses. I mean, that's what we were trying to, we were building something pretty good in Detroit and it just didn't work out. We didn't, you know, we just didn't win enough games. And he goes, you know, this, this decision was difficult, but cause he's a really good man and we all know he's a really good man, but this is a business decision and I'm here to execute the rest of it. And that's when it got real. Um, some people were let go very quickly after that. I was pulled into a room with him, our GM at the time, our assistant GM at the time, and told was told like the assistant coaches were not going to be a part of anything. And you're going to run the draft workouts, the free agent mini camps. And like, that's the decision we've made. And like, it was so bizarre at the whole time, like the whole time, because I just seen Stan before I walked in that room and he was like, Hey, I've already called some people, you know, about getting you on a different staff, you know, you know, we'll be in touch. And like, he left the building and then I was pulled into that room. And like the next day we had a draft workout and it was like the whole world's changed to like, now you're running a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And so myself and the video crew, we ran it for the whole summer. They hired a new coach. Um, I was really optimistic about staying on, especially when the new coach had called Stan and, and said, Hey, tell me about this, this TJ guy. And Stan called me after he got off the phone. He goes, I think there's a really good chance, you know, you're going to get to stay. I told him about you, you know, coach Steve, he'd talked to coach Stevens about you. Um, he's not bringing his guy. So like, I think it's pretty good. And then I met him, Dwayne Casey, and we met for like five minutes. He's was born in Indianapolis. I was from Indiana. So we talked a little bit about that. And he said, okay, we'll meet on, we'll meet in a few days to go over how like we want to do things and like, everything like that. And I was like, great, <laughs> great. And so that was the day of the draft. That meeting never happened. And so I just got a feeling like the things were not good. They were going to go south. And so I, the next day I walk in, he's there. And I think we're still supposed to meet. I even see him in the hallway. And I was like, 
uh, hey coach, how you doing? Just let me know whenever I'll be here all day, whenever you want to meet. He goes, okay, okay. And then around one o'clock, I went to get a water and I sat back down and I got a, a phone call from a number I didn't recognize and I pick it up and it was, he go, it was, I think his name was Justin. He goes, this is Justin from HR. Can you come down to blah, blah, blah office? And I was like, oh man. And so I walk in there, they've got, they've got an HR person, they've got a lawyer and like, that's the real of it. I'm just going to tell you, like they sit you down. It, it's like for two, three minutes. And it's like you, your employment's been terminated. Here's the package. Your cell phone's going to get wiped right now. All of it. And it, and that's it. You have, you know, a couple hours to get your things out. Your, your key fob doesn't work anymore. Like mm. done. Like that's it. <laughs> and so then I went home. Actually, I went to the Apple store to get a new, like transfer all my contacts. That was yeah. the first thing I did. Um, and, and I went home and it hadn't really hit me yet. Cause I was like trying to, I was reaching out to people, my friends on, you know, just letting them know what happened. So letting them know I was available. Like, and I was looking for a job and this happened so late. This happened right the day after the draft and summer league was in like three days. So, and I already had my ticket for summer league at the pit, you know, I was going to be on the staff and everything. And so like that weekend I bought like generic pole, like the same, like a Nike polo, like a generic Nike polo, a bunch of them. And I was at summer league, but I wasn't with the Pistons. It was bizarre. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're walking around getting different interviews. And I, I really wanted to coach in the G league. Um, there were some things with that, some opportunities, um, there were some opportunities overseas um, in Australia and there were some opportunities in college and uh, yeah, navigating, navigating, getting let go late, especially at a position like as a head video where you haven't really risen to establish yourself as a coach yet was really difficult, more difficult than I thought. Um, and maybe something I, at the time I didn't want to do video again. I just didn't want to go, you know, there were some jobs open in the NBA for video. I wasn't really interested. You know, I wanted to really get on, like I was on the floor in Detroit, but I really wanted to do more, which is why I wanted to do the G league. Um, but yeah, that was kind of how that went. It was, uh, it's, it's a business and it hits you quick. And so now after that experience, I, I always feel like I'm walking on the line. Like I can feel the fire all the time, no matter how long the contract is. And in the weirdest way it has, I've always had a really good sense of urgency, but that has heightened my sense of urgency to a level I could not have done on my own. I mean, it, it changes you. Like you can feel it when I'm coaching in the G league in practice and we're not doing something right. And I got to make sure we get this right. Like this can't become a problem. I mean, I feel it almost every day, mm. which I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's increased, <laughs> it's increased the urgency of like, you know, this game, this practice, this film session really keep you in the present moment. Like how do we get better here? Because it's all going to add up. And I don't want to go through that again if I, if I don't have to. Yeah, and I would say that uh, probably you've used that for the better to use that sense of urgency to make yourself, your team, your organization better to maximize your capabilities and all that you're able to do. So I would say 
uh, it's probably a good thing that you have that sense of urgency as long as it's not not too crazy but yeah that's an incredible experience you know getting let go for those that don't know that late is really that's that would probably have been difficult to navigate for sure but ultimately you found another opportunity you get to go to georgia you're working under coach Crean, who's the indiana guy so there you go there's an indiana yep. background to you but what was that like working under him uh at georgia yeah it was awesome you know it was getting kind of late like i was let go on like june in the 20s of june yeah uh and i ended up getting that job technically like late august um, so I, you know, they gave me the Pistons gave me three months severance. Um, and so I got the job, well, well, Tom Crean, he, he'd found out about me through a loose tie. I didn't really know him. I met him. He came to a practice in Detroit the year before when he was out from Indiana and touring around. I didn't really know him. And we just like talked on the phone a couple times throughout a week. And then he texted me different things. And I texted back like concepts, you know, he was looking for, like a special assistant to the head coach with NBA experience who could really help him with the basketball side of what he's trying to do at Georgia. And I flew down, you know, we had texted a bunch of stuff and he told me what the job was going to be. He's like, you're going to be my offensive. You're going to hold my offensive play card. You're going to help me call plays during the game. You're going to help me run practice, set up practice. You're going to help me in drills. You're going to help me do all this stuff on the basketball side, lineups, stats. You're going to run all of it. And like, to his credit, like the, the job he described me for, like when on the interview, when I actually got there, it was even better. Like he literally, I mean, he relied on me a lot that that was probably the single greatest growth year up until that point that I'd had. And that's so bizarre. Like if, if, you know, we were winning in Detroit, we were there for another couple of years. Like I would have never left the Pistons to go be the special assistant at Georgia. Like I just wouldn't have ever, right. You don't do that. Sure. But that, that experience down there with him is so invaluable because he, he almost, he treated me like a lead assistant when it came to the basketball. So I couldn't recruit in my position, anything off campus. So it was like, you know, he'd be texting me stuff, like coming into work. He'd, he'd come in my office. We'd draw, he'd be like, hey, give me like seven different actions out of horns we can do. Or like what lineup works best here if we do this and show me the numbers. Like it was, that guy's really intelligent. So he can take in a ton of information. Um, and then like, you know, about halfway through the SEC season, you know, I give him some numbers on like our lineups and stuff. And he's like, okay, next game, you just do the subs. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I've never done the subs before. He's like, yeah, but you got all the numbers. So just tell me what to do. And we played at Florida and we weren't, we didn't have a great record that year. And it was the first year and we won. And Nick Claxton played great, first of all, um, <laughs> but we won. And I think, and he was just like the next game, Hey, let's do that again. Just tell me again. And like, where else, like if I was with the Pistons, I wasn't going to get to do the subs. I wasn't going to get to suggest offensive play calls in the game. Like, and that's what he did for me. Like it was unbelievable. And he knew I wanted to get back. He kind of set it up like, Hey, I get, this is going to be a stopgap year. I'm going to max you out. You're going to get better. I think it's going to be a great step for you and your journey of, of all the steps when you look back and I, the, just the interview, like his energy and his thought process. I was like, I could, you know, I could have gone to a G league opportunity that I actually that's where I wanted to go. And I could have gone overseas to a pretty unique opportunity, both coaching. And I chose 
this non-coaching role because I was like, you know what, this is, this is a once in a lifetime person to learn from. He thinks way different. He, you know, he was promising me like an unbelievable role. And so I did it. And I'm so thankful I did. It was, it was a great learning experience. I don't even know how to like sum it up because it was such a, it was just really good. As you can hear the train going by yeah. in my background. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's an incredible experience. Talk about a guy with the sense of urgency. He seems like he definitely, you know, he can take in a lot, got a great energy about him. Um, and obviously you guys, then you win the national championship after you started seven, you guys wound up going and, and winning. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, but you know, one thing I, I think about when you talk about your story, you get thrown in the fire a couple different times that really, uh, people look at you and they see something that they value. So they're sitting there and they're like, Hey, TJ's got some great insight. Let's, let's, let's utilize that. And so you're getting thrown in the fire, but at the same time, one thing I want to point out is that you're prepared when you get, when you get there. So it's all these behind the scenes things that people don't see. And that's something that I love touching on is because there's so much that's in the spotlight, but there's way more that's behind the spotlight when doors are closed, that the long hours that you work, the preparation, the clipping up games, the talking to different people, there's so much that goes into it and all the work that you put in. So whenever your number's called, when you're called to actually get in there and do something, you're prepared as you can be to execute and do the best that you can at the moment. So that's something that I know that people, maybe they, they look and they see, wow, that's awesome. And he did great. Well, yeah, there's a lot of work that went into it beforehand that you did to have those opportunities as well. And to enable people to look at you and see value because like, Hey, he's working his butt off right here and he's smart. Um, and he's going to make a good decision. So that's something I, I think is really important as well. So you have an incredible experience. It sounds like at Georgia, then you get a chance to go back into the G league to get to coach. Um, how has that been? And, and what has that been like for you? Yeah, it's been really good. I, I want to touch on that point on the preparation, you know, that like, I think, my dad, obviously, like, like I said before, he was huge in that. But I, I mean, I really owe from a basketball perspective, Stan Van Gundy on, on just being around him and working for him for the preparation aspect. And, and the reason why, reasons why, is he is so organized and detailed with his planning that being his video guy isn't like being the ninth guy. It's like being his second or third guy to him because he, he, I did all the stuff for him, all the preparation. I mean, the first two months I'm in Detroit, things are, I'm trying to learn the NBA terminology, the concepts I'm spinning. And then I finally get it and I make like an edit for him. And he'd be like, I want to, he's like, this number's wrong. Or like, I want this to be called elbow, not pinch post. Or he'd tell me things like from, he would just give me so much feedback of like, this isn't right. This is not how I want it. And so like over the first half of the <clears throat> first year, I just learned how to organize better for a guy who is super organized. I had to, and I really owe him that and being in coaches meetings and how he broke those down. I mean, he set up a whole organization. He is the most organized detailed guy I've ever been around. And so for being prepared, like he was a huge factor in that. And that leads into the G league piece because I'm at Georgia, um, you know, I'm obviously wanting to get back in the pro realm and I get a call one day, it was like a text 
from our, the current head coach of the Birmingham squadron, uh, Ryan Pannone, who I knew a little bit. I met like three years ago at Summer League briefly. And then for whatever reason, during my year at Georgia, he and I just had texted a lot, a lot of plays, a lot of concepts. He was coaching. He was an assistant coach in Jerusalem that year. Um, and so he and I were talking about a bunch of stuff. And then one day he just calls me and says, hey, I've been hired as the Pelicans new G League coach in Erie. I do Erie for two years and it's going to move to Birmingham. Um, they've already hired two assistants. Um but I have control over one of the other assistant spots. It's the third, you know, it's the third assistant spot. And I was like, and he's like, I think we need somebody with MBA experience, which you have, cause I don't have, he didn't have it. And somebody who's really detailed and, and can set up scouting and player development and like the whole, the coach's coach kind of thing. And it was another, it was the same, basically the same opportunity at Georgia, except like more responsibility and you're on the floor doing it all. And here's another thing, you know, at Georgia in the SEC, the pay is really good. The pay, I made about the same, maybe a little more at Georgia with the way the contract was set up than I did with the Pistons. So the pay was a, you know, I'll just say it was like a $75,000 pay cut to go to the G League. Now they pay for your housing throughout the year or throughout the season, but it was about a 75K pay cut. And I honestly didn't even hesitate. Like it didn't matter at all. To me, it was like the opportunity to get in with the Pelicans, with David Griffin being the new president, Trajan Langdon being the new GM. You know, they had the number one pick. They had all these young players that were going to trade Anthony Davis. I think they did that by that time. Brand new G League team, start from scratch, build it like with a guy who's just a really good guy that I got to know a little bit. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Done. Like, this is awesome. And so that's how that kind of, kind of happened. Um, but again, like the sacrifice of knowing what you want, like you're going to be faced with these decisions of like, yeah, you know, you could stay and it's a good job and you're working for a good guy. And it's a lot of, you know, the SEC's high level basketball, or you can, you know, continue to bet on yourself and like your goal and make those appropriate decisions. And you know what? Who knew that the COVID pandemic was going to hit? You know, if I'd have stayed, there's no way I could have gotten in the G League the next year because only half the teams played in the bubble. So there were half as many jobs. And then going into this next year, you know, it's, it's similar. Like, it's just, there's not that many jobs and I'd probably still be there right now. You know what I mean? If I hadn't mm -hmm. made that decision to, to accept the offer. Um, that's kind of how that happened. But again, I, I don't want to say luck again, but it was a little, little lucky. And yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a big, you know, that's a big part of things is having a little bit of luck on your side, uh, but also having that preparation and hard work to enable that luck to actually happen. Um, you know, one thing we talk about lucky, I, you're a big, a big reason for some luck in my life. And I think I, we haven't talked about this in a long time. But so for me, when I was getting into coaching, I had reached out written letters and I wrote a letter to coach Stevens, he got back to me or email and you know, at the time, you know, that was, you know, I was ecstatic. I was just getting in the, in the Rain circle. Of, put it on the fridge. Yeah. Put it on the fridge. Exactly. I uh, probably ran around my house, just showing everybody for sure. But anyway, wound up getting a chance to coach Steven said, Hey, come work camp. We'd love to have you. Well, coach Graves had just left. 
he was the guy that was I was supposed to get in touch with. So uh, he's gone. I'm like, crap, well, there goes my opportunity. I don't know what's going to happen. I somehow find out that you um, were cousins with a friend of mine from middle school and early high school. Somehow got your number. I reached out to you, called you, left you a voicemail, texted you. I might have emailed you too. And I find out later on down the road, I wound up getting into the Butler camp to work camp. And that's where obviously I met you. But you told me about uh, the story of you and Drew Cannon sitting there saying names, right? You're going through the list. And then all of a sudden you say, Bailey Miles, you've been going, yes, no, yes, no. Bailey Miles pops up. And I remember you saying something like, Bailey Miles, that sounds familiar. And I think he might've called me, just put him in there. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so I got to work <laughs> camp. <laughs> Um, so anyway, that, that was lucky. You talk about luck. That's a little bit of luck. No, I, too. I remember, I remember part of that too. Drew Cannon was like, I like his name. Yeah, I agree. And I was like, <laughs> we don't know anything about him, but me, but like, yeah, we're throwing him in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's talk about a little bit of luck there. There's some big luck that you actually had the fortune of giving to me. Um, anyway, so yes, but luck and hard work for you. You've had those things happen in your life. Um, you know, one of the things that you talked about, which immediately came to mind when you talk about the pay cut, you know, a lot of people sit there and think, you know, money's everything. But I think when you're doing something that you really love, yes, you're going to make sacrifices for it. And the word sacrifice popped in my head right before you even said sacrifice. So you're making these sacrifices to take these opportunities. But as you make each one, each one enables you to keep building upon your path as you become a coach. And so now, you're obviously with uh, the newly introduced Birmingham squadron, which is the G League team for the Pelicans. You are up in Erie. Talk about you're getting a chance uh, as associate head coach to be on the floor. You're doing everything that you probably enjoy doing about basketball. What has that been like and what are you excited about for the future? Yeah, I mean, again, you have to have the opportunity is great. The, the opportunities that are also followed with belief from other people are and I would go a step further that knowing from other people is what really matters. Like my head coach right now, Ryan Pannone is one of the best people I know. What like pure person. Uh, there's so many examples I could go through and things that I've just witnessed over the two years of working with him. Um, he really empowered me. I mean, he said, you're going to do this. You're going to, you were going to prepare you to be a head coach. You're going to run all this. You're going to help me here. You're going to tell me basically he, the main thing for him was to tell him the things he needs to hear. Um, and I did that and that's what he wanted. And the opportunity followed by his belief from practice to film sessions. Like I just, I wasn't doing those same things. You know, I might do them here and there with Detroit or Georgia or even a little Butler, but you know, every day it, it, it's every day you're in front of the team, every day you're having to, build the relationship piece to the point where they, you know, if you're doing something every day, they get kind of, they can get drowned out by you. So you have to, you have to have a very good feel of like when to push, when not to push, when to talk about whatever movie came out or new song came out and not even discuss basketball at all because they're seeing you all the time and you're trying to get them to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. So you have to really figure that piece out. Like, you know, there's a, for instance, like I'm choosing a, a certain place to live in Birmingham. So they don't, you know, I can choose a place that's really nice that they've kind of set up for us, but I don't think being around the players all the time is the best thing. Not for any other reason that I don't want, I don't want them to just see me all the time and me see them and them to be like, man, I see this guy. I can't even come home and I see coach. 
Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not going to stay there because of that reason. Just thinking farther ahead for the five, six months we're during the season. But the, the, the G league, like, I don't know if you've been to any, uh, ever been to a G league game mm-hmm. for people who haven't been. And I had never, I've been to one in 2014 in tech in the, with the legends during the final four, this is how much I like pro basketball. I'm at the final four in Dallas in 2014. And I go to the Texas legend game, the night of like the, the final four. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> whatever, uh, whatever was coming, but the G league is a really good, really talented league. I mean, it, it, it's a lot more talented and, and better than college in my opinion, as far as the gameplay and the players. Um, but you get to, you get to just get thrown in the fire, like you said, and you're doing everything and you're making you're making the adjustments you know i because tom crean had let me do the subs for x amount of games at the end of the season you know when i was talking to ryan he goes yeah you just do the subs and just i don't know if i've gotten to do that or even gotten a job if i hadn't had that already on the resume you know then you're running the whole defense you're you're working out doing the player development plans for the point guards you know you're you're getting two ways back and forth and having to you know coordinate all that but the main thing is like building a program from scratch. Like we're in Erie. We're not even in the same time zone as New Orleans. It takes like two or three flights to get to Erie. Yeah. Uh, and, and the culture you're trying to build in a place that's really cold. Players don't really want to be there to then getting, you know, not having a great first year. We didn't, we had like a lot of young players, which always happens in your first year as an expansion team to taking the next step, the second year from going from the third worst team in the G league, the first year to getting the three seed and going to the playoffs in the bubble, which was huge. I mean, it's a huge step in the right direction to now moving the team to Birmingham, rebranding and starting that. And it's really we've had the same staff. We're going to have the same staff for the third year in a row. And it's really cool. It's becoming a little nostalgic on like what we're trying to build. Like there's a lot of people involved that put a lot of effort into it. And it's really exciting to see. It's been a really, it's been a really unique uh, experience from the sense of just you're at the ground level from day one. I told you, you walk outside on day one and there's six inches of snow on the ground. It would be really satisfying you know, if this year we can have the season from a development point of view with the Pelicans players in two ways to the winning games, to just have this kind of circular moment where it all comes back, where it's like everything you did for three years led to this. And that's what we're really starting to talk about right now as a coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. What an incredible experience. Also too, you know, the G league is one of the best places um, for young coaches too, in my opinion, because the, the games I have gotten to go to were, with the Tulsa 66ers and Darko was the head coach. And then I got to go to Oklahoma city blue and Mark Gignall was the head coach there. And now obviously he's with the thunder. So obviously we're talking to the next head coach of the NBA team right here, TJ Saint. So <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, yeah. But what I want to say too, is, as you look back and you talk about these people that empowered you, one story goes into relationships. Like you have sought uh, great people, not just great coaches. Obviously you sought, you seek the highest, highest level coaches that, have great knowledge of the game and the X's and O's and all those things, but also really good people. And I think that's something that you can't um, highlight enough is just that finding really good people that believe in you, that you get to learn from and be around. I think that's critical. And you've obviously seen that throughout all your story and all the people you got to work with, which is a fantastic list of people you got to learn and, and listen from. 
So I think that's really critical too. So we're really excited for you this season, getting to watch you guys down at Birmingham. You're in a great place. You're building a culture. And as you talk about building a culture, how does someone go about that? I know we need to wind down here, but how does someone go about building a culture when you're starting something kind of from scratch? Yeah. First thing is it starts with trust among your staff and players and the three elements of trust. And I'm not making this up. This is like a scientifically proven thing from a Harvard professor is number one, you have to be authentic. Um, and that is just as easy as it sounds, but as, as hard as it sounds for some people, your true self just has to come out. Human beings are really smart in the sense when they can tell somebody's not being authentic. Um, so you have to be authentic your, yourself. And that comes out over time. And I think people will understand that. The second is what you're telling them has to make sense. It has to be logical. Like you can't, if you, if you tell somebody something that doesn't make sense, the, the buy-in's not going to happen. Like, for instance, you know, I'm going to tell some players, like, it's, and it's going to be honest, like, not all of you are going to play for the Pelicans. Most of you won't. Most of you are not even going to play in the NBA. But you got to use this year to get the next best job you can overseas, or if you want to get into coaching, or if you want to get into strength training, like, use this don't let, you know, basketball use you, use basketball. So everything you tell them has to make sense and have a logical plan. And then the third thing is you have to have empathy. Okay. And I, like I say that, and I've always believed that over the last X amount, probably three years, it has grown immensely with me. Um, you know, during the, the pandemic, you know, my contract ran out. So you're not going to get it. You know, we didn't even know if we we're going to have a season. So my contract ran out like normal, nothing different, but because we didn't know what was going to happen, you know, I was kind of without anything for a while, which I had never experienced in my life. You know, even with the Pistons getting let go, I had three months of, you know, intermediary uh, income. And that was interesting to navigate and just seeing how like applying for unemployment how the system is set up in a way like the online system. And I'm pretty technologically savvy. It was really hard for me to figure it out and how that's set up for people to actually fail and mm -hmm. not, and not get what they're supposed to get. I mean, it's, I would have never seen that side of, of the world had I not gone through that. And, you know, from just getting fired from the three years prior and going down to the G league in a way, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really, I, I, I connected with those guys when we were in Detroit, but, but now that I, now that I'm here and I see looking up the things that can be done, it, it's just a different viewpoint. And I think the empathy has gone through the roof, especially since the pandemic hit. And it, again, it's weird. There's things you wouldn't ask for or, or want, but when they happen, you know, you can, you can live life forward. But then now when you look back, you, you can really recognize why, you know, you can look back and understand it. Um, but that's, you know, the empathy piece. We have really good people, like you said, um, that's the start of our culture. And we've, we've been doing that for two years and we're just going to continue it with a third. But we have we have outstanding people on our staff and everybody's pulling in the right direction. And one of the biggest things with culture is being able to, you know, talk, tell accountability and accept accountability. And I think we do that better than anywhere I've ever been. Like we just tell each other the truth and we can accept it. 
which I think is the other hard part on it. Yeah, absolutely. And the things you just talked about are critical in leadership and building a culture. Um, it's crucially important to that. You know, are there th- certain things that you do on a daily basis to help yourself improve individually? And what are those things that you do? Yeah, um, I watch situations. So obviously there's no games going on right now, but every single close game, like seven, eight points, I'll go through synergy the next morning of an NBA, you know, an NBA game. And I'll look at all the close games and I'll just watch possession by possession, the last six, seven minutes of close games. And I'll just start building situations or anything I see. And I just, so basically the last two years, I've seen every single, well, last three years, every single end of game situation from like seven minutes on from every game. And so I just think if I see that enough, you know, I build edits for our staff to, to kind of go through situations, like, not just like, are we going two for one or are we, you know, we need a three here, but just like situations are like, is this the right lineup for this? Are they, should we switch here? When do we sub our guy here? What did, look what Brad Stevens did here. Look what Quinn Snyder did right here. You know, we talk about those things and any, any other clip I see, you know, I'll label it. I'll put it in my phone and my reminders and I'll be like, you know, Johnson made three at one 12 in the third quarter. And then the next day when it's up on synergy, I'll find that concept, whatever it was that triggered it. And I'll have that in my phone and I'll just blast it off to different databases I have. Um, and then the other thing, and it's really hard. We, you know, we've all coaches, we've all been to like camps and clinics. We have a bunch of notes. Okay. And I was always like, how do we organize this? How do you like, you have all these notes, but they're on paper, they're on sheets. And then how do you go recall it? You know, yeah. I think the organizing piece is so hard. And so my girlfriend got me from last year's birthday, rocket book. I highly suggest rocket book. Cause rocket anytime, book. Okay. anytime I see anything like a play or notes, you can basically write it on this like dry erase sheet, scan it into your phone, blast it to Google. I blast it to Google drive and I have everything like organized that I would need. Boom, Google drive. And I could just go through it. Concept, concept notes from clinics, like easy. It's all there and organized. That's kind of what I do on the daily um, for like self-improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to that uh, kind of organizational preparation component with Coach Van Gundy back in the day. So Very much so. Yeah. Um, Quickly, as we wind it down, I've got a little fire round for you. Ask you a few questions. I'll say a, a sentence and then you can finish with a word or a sentence, however you want to finish it. You can do anything if. You have opportunity followed by belief and you have to know. Curiosity is. Um, a, a high curiosity to me is a characteristic that high, high potential people have. Favorite vacation spot. Ooh, probably the outer banks of North Carolina. Okay. You've been watching the show then, huh? No, (laughs) I've heard Uh, about it, but I've not watched it. Okay. Uh, uh, Drive. It's essential. Favorite basketball experience. Probably, probably playing the Australian Olympic team when we went over there with Butler, the boomers. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what about best player you've gotten to coach? Like really coach? Probably Tobias Harris. 
it all comes down to. I don't know if there's one thing is where you all come from such different levels of like what's given to us, what's not, what has to be earned. I, I don't think one thing matches for each person. Um, so I don't think it all comes down to one thing. Gotcha. Awesome. That's we're done with the fire round. You can breathe. So, uh, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice I've ever received. Okay. So this is kind of, this is kind of interesting. I remember being at Mercer in my second semester as a freshman. I, I was in a, a classroom at 8 a.m. And the teacher was writing up on the board saying some stuff. And he just turned around and he said, this has nothing to, what I'm about to say, this has nothing to do with the lesson at hand but I want to tell you guys something that's true and you need to understand now. He said, any system quote, any system in life will try to convert you to its ways. And if it, and if it fails, it will then try to eliminate you. And I see that in all walks of life. I think we are much too, especially with the media and social media nowadays, I think we are very quick to judge people. I think we're very quick to judge a lot of things. And I don't know why there's this whole, like, you have to be here or here. You know, we saw it with the election. You know, I, I just think as we move forward as, as just like human beings, there needs to be a much more um, empathetic point of view towards everyone and not trying to just make you one thing or the other. And I just really, you know, and in the basketball world of it, like I'll say it again, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of money in this game. There's a lot of fame. There's a lot of things that the lifestyle brings, but just like we all got into it because we love the game, like keep making it about the game. And I just don't want that to get lost in all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? Trying to build a life for you and your family, trying to build a career that you basically can look back on and say you did everything you could to make it the best career possible. Um, and you have to you have to really get to the point where you feel like in your career, you've reached a certain pinnacle that you've always shot for. And I just think if you want to be excellent at it, it starts with the things you do every single day, all the little routine habits. And over time, the score will take care of itself. Yeah, absolutely. It goes attention to detail, right? My dad's um, voice, I can hear it. Yep, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, TJ, thanks so much for coming on the show. You know, as I look back, just from getting to know you, the things you just talked about are things you exemplify, you know, the empathy, the selflessness of trying to help other people that maybe are you're in a position where they'd like to be as coaches. You always are trying to give back to help young coaches and coaches in general. Um, and so I think that is something that is really important. I mean, even just going back to my time working with you at Butler, uh, that second week of camp, you let me stay over your place during camp with a couple other guys. And we just got to talk hoops and get to know each other and, um, very meaningful. And I think that that is something that as you talk about all these things, you know, it's not just something you say, it's something you do. And it means a lot. So appreciate you being on the show. Really excited for you guys as you move down to Birmingham and, and get going there. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Bailey. Appreciate it all.
Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.